The year is 1972. I'm Dave. I'm Zach. And this is My Marvelous Year. Where we go through the Marvel history, the history of Marvel Comics from its origins to today. I'm your host, Dave Busing, founder and editor in chief of ComicBookHerald.com, and I am joined today by the world's leading Luke Cage number one to number eight fan, Zach Dean. How That's you doing, true. Zach? You, the way you, uh, you, I think you've been doing this lately, introducing me like, and I've got on the line, Zach Dean, like as if you have a rotating panel of get. It's a. Uh, you ever watch On Cinema with Tim Heidecker and Greg Turkington? Mm-mm. On YouTube, it's a it's like a comedy show, but the joke is that Tim Heidecker, even though he only has the same co-host every episode, just refers to him as his guest for the episode yeah. and refuses yeah. to call him his co-host. And I, I kind of getting that <laughs> that same vibe from you that uh, you think this is Dave's podcast starring. I mean. Z- I'm not disagreeing, but no, okay. I'm just I'm just introducing you as the other person on the line. <laughs> on the line too. This isn't talk radio. Well, I mean, the... I have a background in radio, so for me, it just comes naturally. Okay, all right. So, uh, yeah, 1972, hell of a year. Yep, indeed. So this is our variant cover episode. Uh, the last two episodes, we've gone through a whole bunch of our curated list through the Marvel Comics of 1972. If you're curious what those comics were, go back and check out the last couple episodes. You can look in the show notes for the full reading lists. Uh, what we're going to do today is we're going to talk about poll results for the year. We're going to talk about any questions that listeners may have had. And we're also going to be taking calls here on 89.1. Call us in at 312-994-8765. And uh, we'll be doing live calls. And then also we are going to uh, do some updates to our My Marvelous Heroes and uh, Heroes Universe, right? Oh, yeah. I'm excited. I got some good ideas for this one, I think. They sound fun. Um, okay. Yeah. I don't. So that, that'll be oh, good. Okay. You're going to... I love I love you just uh, figuring it out as you go. <laughs> just yeah. Just yeah. stream sure everyone does. Yeah. Uh, I meant to ask you this earlier. You're reading House of X and Powers of X, right? Sure am. Yep. Yeah, so this is this is something I I keep hearing from you and other people that it's a pretty good starting point. Like you can just jump on and read this. It's the new X-Men event. It's like kind of a, a rebooting of the whole X-Men franchise or kind of a, a new phase of X-Men, mutant yeah, kind, whatever. New phase yeah. for sure. Yeah, not not reboot, but yeah, new phase. <clears throat> Don't call it a reboot. And I get mad. I spent probably too long deliberating over like oh it looks so good people are so excited about it everyone loves it like should i read it i don't really have any context for x-men past 1984 yeah right <laughs> and uh i finally just like gave in and then i read it and i was like oh this is pretty good but uh yeah i don't want to read anymore because it, it just is like this is i can see this is cool but i also don't really have enough context to r- realize why this is like really cool you know, that's like, interesting. There are all these big lines there that I was like, clearly this is supposed to be like, oh, that's cool that this is happening because it builds on this whole history and it's subverting this whole history. Um, I'm specifically thinking of a moment with Magneto and uh-huh. the line, line he gives. And I'm like, this is very cool. But I like 
I mean, last time I saw Magneto was 30 years ago, so I don't know what happened to him between then and now. And I think that's, that's kind interesting, of like yeah. indicative of this whole club. Like, I kind of want to jump into modern comics, but every time I do, just leap into a new series, almost always. Uh, Immortal Hulk is like kind of an exception. I feel like, oh, I could follow this, but I, I kind of feel like I'm just not like enjoying it as much as I would if I like really knew more of this history. If I really had more setup for that. So well, like, let that be a lesson to you, my marvelous readers. Don't no, cheat and go ahead. Uh, <laughs> yeah, exactly. You, just, you stay on 1972 on into 1973. And I'll tell you what, Zach and I will get the House of X shortly. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I can't wait to read House of X issue number two in 2023. Yeah. And uh, no, I, I actually find that take very interesting because I was trying to answer that question. A lot of people were asking, you know, yeah. is this actually a good starting point? And I... I try to take a more tempered approach because a lot of fans who I think are in it and have been in it and even critics for a while are like, yes, clearly this is a great starting point. And for me, I, I felt a little bit more like, well, Jonathan Hickman, the writer here, has a history in the Marvel Universe. He has a lot of comics mm-hmm. that he's written touching these pages, even just like tonally. I think if this is your first X-Men comic, it can be kind of kind of tough. I don't know. Oh, They're kind of yeah, dense sure. and multi-layered. Oh, yeah. yeah. No, th- there's a lot going on. I mean, I, I don't know the full history, but I could get, like, a lot of it through context and the fact that I just, like, generally know who the X-Men are, right? Like, right. I think having, like, a basic understanding. But if you've seen the movies, you could probably jump into it and, like, you can. more, I more think or less figure out what's going on and get on board. I, I as guess, starting like, places go in 2019, yeah. it almost couldn't be better. Like, it's so hard to onboard whatever yeah. 60 years of X-Men history, yeah. and it does an amazing job doing that. So mm-hmm. I think it's yeah. about as good. First of all, I think it's about as good as a comic. And I also think it's about as good as saying, hey, here is a place to join. But to your point, I think when you do have the background, I do think you get more out of it. I, I yeah, think there's references saying, like, and there's stuff. It's as good as a comic gets. And I made a joke, like I was kind of baiting you by saying it's a six out of 10. But for me, it really was like, oh yeah, this is pretty good. Like I thought it was pretty good. But I think part of that is like, I don't have... Like, I don't know who some of these characters are. I don't really know what this means for these characters. Like, this story doesn't mean a lot for me. It's just kind of like, oh, here's X-Men out of context. And, like, it's well-written and this is good characterization. But I don't have that that fuller context that, like, probably drives it for someone who, I don't know, knows uh, knows that much more. You Are you bagging floppies while we talk? Yeah, I'm bagging them. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. That. <laughs> uh, I've actually yeah. got House of X number two right here that I, I bagged and board right before we started. And now I'm putting away some Batman nightmares. Oh. Not the best. <laughs> okay. All right. So let's uh, jump back. What is it? 50 years? Yeah. Uh, and uh, get back to uh, 1972. Um, let's talk about the poll on Patreon. We talked about, we asked, what Bronze Age trend is most exciting? And I think we set this up a little, I didn't think about this enough, but we kind of set one of these up for failure in a way that like makes me slightly uncomfortable, but also is understandable. This is one of the most stacked decks I think we've ever put together. (laughs) And it's almost like we set a trap for ourselves, I think. Yeah, yeah. So uh, the the issue is that... If we were going to do a poll that was, what is our worst poll? I think we I think I might vote for this one. <laughs> I, I don't know if that's the case. I just think like we didn't really consider okay, so what I'm getting at is in last place, the, the trend people are most are the least excited for is more racial minorities and female superheroes. Which I think on its face looks bad. Like I saw that and I was like, oh, oh boy, that does that say something look, about our the optics our club? aren't great here, Zach. But to be fair, like I think that's a great part of the Bronze Age. I think that makes them more for more interesting comics and 
you know, besides like social issues of just good representation or representation being important, I think it's more interesting. But it is also not what I'd pick. Um, you know, like is there it, are other I things. Think you that could I'm, also you could also make the argument: is it is it even that big a part of the Bronze Age? Like, does Marvel even do it that well? And I think probably <laughs> I think a lot of fans would be like, well, not really, not in the seventies. Oh, I mean, not. Not it's in a ba- huge it's, way, it's, but it's, it's you know baby steps here and there, right? Yeah, 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 yeah. So that that's in last place. Uh, in second of the last place is team ups, which I'm a little surprised to only got two votes. Um, like I team ups team are up a time honored tradition. That doesn't feel super new to me either. I mean, that's pretty new to for Marvel to have all these dedicated comics of just team ups. They've got the, the literal team one. up They've book. Got yeah, team ups. Yeah, um, yeah. Marvel Unlimited just added like twenty more. Um, twenty more of Marvel team up from like nineteen seventy two to seventy four or something. So it's like they're fleshing it's that like out. They're starting to add issues in response to my Marvel. I had yeah, that I think thought we when are I driving saw that. the right Marvel team up from seventy two to like seventy four. I was like, oh, they're trying to fill this in before we cover them on the pod. Except here's the thing: they don't realize we record ahead of time. You're too mm-hmm. late, MU. Step it up. <laughs> uh, next up is social relevance with four votes, which also like I guess gets a little rolled in with the minority and female superheroes because oftentimes they aren't great at just adding in a like a racial minority it has to be wrapped in with their identity as a racial minority and like the social issues around them right like falcon is not just like he's not just a black member of the team he's a black member of the team that like is very much rooted in issues facing black americans if that makes Mm -hmm. sense Mm -hmm. right like a part of his identity as a superhero where captain america's whiteness is not not a part of his identity generally yeah so um and then in second place genre comics with seven votes which uh yeah i mean they're doing a lot of genre comics it's pretty cool horror the cosmic stuff comedy i think the the horror and like doing like kung fu comics i think these actually is the big one right i think these actually are part of like nostalgic bronze age thrill like it definitely feels of a time period you know like you can get a sense of well what was the cultural craze that they're tapping into here and they tend to be pretty compelling as a result i think yeah um and it's interesting we we see this varying degrees but whether or not those genre comics still feel like superhero comics i think we talked about this that oh we will talk about this next year uh, 1973 but man thing does not feel like a superhero comic right like it, it does not very separate from the marvel universe even though he does get kind of integrated in i think there's a there's a marvel team up with spider-man and man thing um but dracula and werewolf by night those feel like superhero comics and structure right like they, they feel very um structurally informally similar to how the superhero yeah. comics are written so yeah it's kind of interesting and also the kung fu stuff right like the kung fu for sure you know they have the hero they build up their cast of villains they have you know their social life and their secret life as a you know, a martial arts hero, whatever. So I think something like Dracula too. It it sort of plays like a superhero comic because they begin to add elements like, for example, Blade, the mm, vampire hunter right, showing up. Exactly. Yeah. And now suddenly it's like, oh well, now it now we have a hero, but he's a supporting player um, throughout the series. So it, it's doing a little bit of both, which I find uh, pretty interesting because it's not playing it's a straight up superhero comic, but it's, right. it's still of a piece with Marvel. And that's you know, as we go here, we're gonna have like. A Tomb of Dracula and Doctor Strange crossover, where then it's like, oh, now we're fully Marvel Universe superhero style. Um, so the uh, yeah, yeah, definitely. I and something interesting about Dracula is like he's the villain clearly. Like he's not just a, he's not an anti-hero. Like he's a bad guy, but they will still do stuff where like he fights another villain 
right? Like Dracula joins in. We, uh, oh, we're about to see like him. He actually joins in the fight against Thanos just in one panel, which is really good. Yeah. In, uh, in next year's Starlin comics. And then yeah, first no, place nice catch. with like first place running away with it, a wider pool, a, not wider, a, well, it is pretty Oh wide, boy. A oh, wider no. pool it's getting worse. of writers, writers and artists, uh, with like, two-thirds of the vote for this. So this is clearly what people are excited for, getting away from the dominance of, what, Lee and Kirby and maybe Roy Thomas to a degree, right? Like, And we talked about I feel being like, excited for this towards the end of the 60s, too. I, I think, yeah, you know, yeah, we were yeah. on the same page like, here. Like, you get I've such an explosion. Lee. Yeah, it just, I mean, it makes just for more interesting reading when we are, like, getting at a diversity of tone versus Stan Lee comics, which, like, they're different in content, but like the style is all very similar. Yeah, right. I mean, it's like you get you have the opportunity now to follow different authors that you like. So it's again, it's just like an options thing that you did not have before. And obviously with different authors come new ideas, new characters, and new approaches to telling Marvel stories. Like Steve Gerber's Man-Thing stories do not tell the same types <laughs> of comic book stories that even like, you know, Jim Starlin's Cosmic do, right? And it's nice to have those different those different umbrellas that like all fit under the marvel universe so i'm not surprised this was a blowout uh in retrospect i think uh you know what i'm gonna set a challenge for us now better polls i'm excited for i don't remember what 73s is yeah we're we gonna fail that a while ago because i cannot remember for the life of me 74 i have one that i like i feel excited about i think we're gonna it will have some like real philosophical arguments going on i think we're gonna really it's gonna really challenge people like yeah we're gonna start questioning how you think about the world and And yourself i think you know yeah right introspective and it literally is an introspective poll so i'm excited for that one 73 i have no idea what we did i'll find out when i finish editing the episode i forget who's to say almost immediately um Okay, yeah, that was our poll. And uh, again, head over to patreon.com slash year if you want to support us. Even a dollar helps. Uh, we've gotten a lot of uh, $1 patrons lately, and we really appreciate it. So thanks. Thank you, everyone. Um, oh, is this a good time to say we're actually going to do the uh, the bad comic podcast at some point? It might be a little bit because things are kind of hectic with schedules. Um, sure. Dave, let's let's uh, throw it out there. Dave's having a baby soon, which is very selfish of him, I'd say. Um, yeah, Zach's, Zach is not happy that I planned a baby for during a podcast, yeah. Time, essentially. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He is not having it. He, he's questioning my loyalties, my priorities, and I got to be honest, I am too a little. Yeah, well, I mean, it's just, I don't know. I mean, I, I just feel like you're going to lose sight of me as your main responsibility, you know? Yes. Yeah. I, I think... I think I've been really watching out for you and like, <laughs> let's, let's face it, carrying the load here. <laughs> well, okay. and um, so that's going to change. And, and you'll all notice that change as I become increasingly tired and uh, forgetful and making weird jokes, which I would never otherwise. So, um, you know, that's to come. But I think once we figure that out, we are going to try to schedule, what is it? The bad comic episode yeah, it's gonna be a little bonus i already got some suggestions from someone in the slack someone yeah it's gonna be we a, read a bad comic and we talk about it and we do bad comedy as we talk about it uh-huh, uh-huh. and uh we'll invite on we'll invite at least one notoriously bad comic a stand-up comic that we can think of um and, and they'll say Ooh, no yeah. because we, we won't know how to actually let's, get somebody get like that on the show like, christian stand-up comedians you know like a, like like on a cru- yeah those those are those ones are never, never very good. Which might be like an unfair stereotype. Maybe cruise boat comics are hilarious, and they get to live on a cruise boat. Maybe it's a dope life. Who am I to judge? A Christian cruise boat comic. That sounds very specific. 
Yeah. Um, maybe maybe the two audience, bands though, you know? cancel each other out and it becomes good. Uh, what I, I have a little list of suggestions here, and maybe the the one that really got highlighted is Marvel. Have you seen this? Oh no. Do you know Marvel? <laughs> That's actually a good idea because I haven't read it. I would yeah, do that. Yeah, it looks really funny. It like it looks like it's oh, supposed to... Oh, no. What? It doesn't no, look funny. No, funny in a bad way where it's like... Yes. I think it's not brand ech, but for like really bad satire of 2000s comics. But for so, horrible early 2000s ideas, yeah. yeah the, uh, the, that's the a pretty good pick. The called Cal AOL Turner. <laughs> the son of Ted Turner, and his name is Cal AOL, which is cutting, cutting satire. Gosh, that, you love this that, comic already. Yeah, I'm, I'm excited just reading the synopsis. I think this might be a good one. Oh, yeah, we'll, that's we'll a rough that pick. Out. Okay, that probably means it's a good one. Yeah. Um, okay, let's uh, let's read some feedback. Uh, we only got one letter here, and we you know that means that our first the... our fr- the first time we're going to jump ahead and say, yeah, we'll do a two thousands run. It's going to be for Marvel. Mm, yep, that's offensive. <laughs> I mean, I I feel like if we have going to get like I don't know any bad comics from this era that aren't just going to be boring or too busy or poorly written. Like someone trying something like really ambitious and dumb from modern day and failing completely, you know that that's like where that fun the fun comes from. Sure, yeah, uh, yeah, I'm looking forward to it. All right, so our letter from Peter Parsons, uh, aka the Colossal Chick Man. He Colossal says, Chick hey, Man. Hey, Dad. Hey, Dad. Hey, Dad. This uh, <laughs> <laughs> relationship has really progressed. Yeah. Hey, Dave and Zach. I have a question for each of you separately this year. Dave. Oh, okay. I'm going to close my ears while I read this so I don't know what he says to you. You just want... Okay, so mine is just coming to me, to be clear. Yeah, Zach I can't, is not hearing I can't this. hear my own words right now. Dave, I almost literally put my ear, fingers in my ears because I bought into my own joke. <laughs> um, and you're wearing headphones, yeah, I so know, it would not have worked at all. Dave, regarding the Kree-Skrull War, I've gotten the impression from multiple sources, including CBH, that the Kree-Skrull War is perhaps the single most important run to read from early Marvel with huge implications on the continuity of the Marvel Universe that are relevant to the current day. Needless to say, given that, I was very excited to get to this run and find out what the big deal it was, and I have to say, I have no idea. What was the giant reveal here? That given a millennium of evolution, humans will become a more powerful species than the Kree and Skrulls? It's an interesting statement, but it doesn't seem as relevant as it's built up to be. And it certainly doesn't seem so complicated that it couldn't be explained in a quick editor's box. Also, why did Rick need to be sent to the negative zone to prove this? That didn't really seem necessary. Was there something else I missed? Or does the simple fact because incredibly more... Or does this simple fact become become incredibly more complicated over time could you shed some light on the importance of this story and what impact we can expect to see it have on the stories we read in the future uh okay so what's the deal with the kree scroll war yeah that's pretty fair um i think if you're looking at marvel comics from 70 to 72 i'm gonna say so the period we just covered this is probably like one of the biggest and most frequently referenced stories I think part of it is just it's like easily collected in a trade paperback. <laughs> like it's if you're going to reference, hey, what are the stories we just read from the last two years? You can sum up this one and have like, you know, eight issues concisely, uh, even if the story itself is not very concise. So I genuinely think that helps its case in terms of being memorable. It's also like it deals with the most Marvel Universe stuff. You know, it touches mm-hmm. all corners. So like it really positions the Avengers as their 
playing with cosmic stuff that they haven't. It's touching like really the Marvel cosmic universe as we know it at this point. Um, and it's also, you know, it goes in all that inhuman stuff as well. Fantastic Four show up, right? So it's, it deals with a lot of like Marvel history and where Marvel's going to be, the universe is going to look like going forward. In terms of the like this big, important relevance, uh, it gets referenced specifically. And if you're really, really one of those people who's like, I don't want to know absolutely anything about the 2000s comics. I do try to avoid this. Like, so I'm not going to spoil anything per se, but I will just mention the name of the event. So skip forward like 30 seconds if you don't want to hear that. Um, it gets referenced in the lead up to the event Secret Invasion, which happens in 7, uh, as well as like New Illuminati, uh, a series that kind of leads. So it's, it's tied to one of the bigger events of the 2000s. But really, like, you don't need to have read it to enjoy those events. It just gets brought up because that's how comics work, reference their history. Sure. In terms of why did Rick Jones need to go to the negative zone, keep oh, reading knows? Yeah. Captain Marvel. Yeah. That's why I need to zone. Nah. Right? Nah. You're just anti-Rick Jones. Speaking of which, uh, here's my question, <laughs> which I am uh, unplugging my ears. Zach, yep. your question is simpler, but perhaps more difficult. I've been thinking about it for days. Uh, that was me. I read this days ago, and I've been like sweating oh, I thought trying to come him. up with an okay. answer. Wow. Who do you hate more, Stiltman or Rick Jones? I genuinely like thought about this on my drive home from work today. How I was going to answer this because like it's not an easy question. Um, I'm, I'm already you know, okay. That this so, is even on your mind. Well, I mean, I got asked it. Someone asked Stop me. Stop filling right. your head with hate. I could. <laughs> okay, so uh, I'm rubbing my temples because this is this is a this is a this very is a tough new... one for you. Yeah, it's tough. It's definitely Rick Jones, and here's why. Yeah, yeah. My hatred for Stiltman is because Stiltman is a worse choice than other villains we could be reading. And I hate that he is the reason, like, he is included when better, more interesting villains are excluded. He is, one inclusion would have been okay. The three I think we've read is absurd, and I know more are coming. Um, that's you hate when... that he is he is taking you away from potentially more enjoyable or quote-unquote more important character your yes. words that i just quote yeah no, that's not about the it. real way that we would yeah, value yeah. so that that's that's the reason stilt man in a vacuum i mean that sounds nice because you would you know stilt man blood. with a vacuum is in hilarious a, oh, just yeah. an issue of him cleaning oh i can't wait <laughs> i mean that is pretty funny how tall is that vacuum i'm in in a vacuum like his blood you know kind of boils inside his body and his he uh he freezes to death but, yeah, but then uh, here's what would happen. He'd just come uh, back with zero explanation and no psychological ramifications. Yeah, that that's is, what happened that time he got super tiny and came yeah, back. Yeah, that's, that's true. Stop boarding your comics. God, I can see you. I can't fit this one. It won't fit in Batman Last Night on Earth. It's too thick. Oh, my God. Um, okay. Rick Jones, I hate in relation to every other character and human being in real life in all media. Right? So, like, Stiltman... I just all media he, he's your yeah, least favorite yeah. character yeah i'd say so i think that's fair <laughs> like <laughs> okay yeah yeah i mean i don't i also joffrey. Just been, oh no problem I, you like I love, rick jones less than joff oh yeah yeah for sure wow easy yeah yeah, yeah i would take okay. the uh i would snatch that cup ramsey right joffrey's hands and oh yeah for sure okay okay yeah yeah, yeah. i mean rick jones like his crimes are much worse than Okay, well, now we're getting into, like, those are real Cousin nasty Dudley. boys. Don't make me... Oh, Dudley's Dudley's adorable. He's yeah, a good, Dudley. He's a good guy. He comes around. A good guy? He's a vicious bully. Eventually. He, does, he, he maybe comes around. Arguably. He comes around a little bit. Um, I did have to spend a lot of time in the slack defending my comments about that Rick Jones comic that I proposed last week. 
the uh and now was this to be clear this was the 23 pages of one avenger at a time new avenger each page Mm -hmm. spanking Mm -hmm. a bottomless do i have that right yeah this is one of those things where uh the louder i scream this is not a fetish the more it sounds like people are like oh it's definitely a fetish right Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. it's like it's you know, when you say something crazy and you're just like, I'm not crazy. And it's like, well, you kind of sound crazy saying that. Like, you're really insisting that you're not crazy. And like, me thinks what... the lady doth protest too much. Yeah. Yeah. So I've got a little of that going on, which is, uh, it's kind of a bummer. But like, I can't underline enough. Like, <laughs> how badly you want that comic? I just want to see that boy's bottom turn red. <laughs> yeah. Double down. Double yeah. down. That's going to help. Yeah. Um, yeah. So. There's that. Yeah, Rick Jones, for sure. Um, so, Peter Fish Thanks for the question, here. Peter. Thanks for another great year of comics reading. Looks like a lot of big stuff coming up in 73, and I can't wait. Stilts be with you. Peter, a.k.a. the Colossal Chick Man. Um, yeah. So, uh, on Slack today, someone uh, was asking a question that I thought we could talk about. CJ, a.k.a. the Backup Generator, and all-around very funny guy on Slack, uh, said, I always thought it was kind of... Now, is that on Slack? Is that like a backhanded compliment? Like, all-around funny guy, (laughs) parentheses, on Slack. Um, I mean, I don't don't know him in real life, so that's all all I have to go off of. I I assume he's funny in real life, too. It seems like it would kind of funny that would translate. Okay. He's, uh, he's quick-witted. Yeah. Uh, wow, this I, is high praise coming yeah. in for the backup generator. Good guy. I always thought it was kind of weird how Marvel how Marvel mostly abandoned their pre-superhero monsters even with expanding when expanding into horror comics. Like, that always struck me as an obvious avenue to take, but unless I miss them, I don't recall them doing so, and it clearly wasn't a want to create new characters because Dracula and Werewolf are hardly new. So I think he's just saying, like, why didn't they bring back their Golden like, Age monsters? Like, where's Fing is that what we're getting yeah, at I mean, here? Yeah, Fing Fang Foom comes back. He actually specifically <laughs> says, uh, Fing Fang Foom is actually where, is why I actually went and adjusted my comic to mostly abandoned, because he's around quite a bit comparatively. But obviously we talked about so many monsters Yeah, I did that 60s. long list in like the first episode of monsters that, you know, there's no context. And Monsters Unleashed, is, Monsters Unleashed was a thing, right, where they tried to like bring those back to the Marvel Universe a year or two ago. Yeah, so that's recent. Like, yeah. There's a recent sort of nostalgic but, look but back think, at all like, the monsters, stuff, about... which did not, was not a hit. Yeah. <laughs> I yeah, mean, no. by any measure. No good. Uh, yeah, so he's trying to, he's asking, like, why Dracula and Werewolf? Because, like, I think that's actually an interesting question because, I mean, those movies were 30 years out from being popular, right? Dracula was yeah. from the early 30s. All those MGM classic horror movies were from, like, the 30s and 40s. We are. 30 to 40 years removed from that why dipping into that pool instead of i don't know something else yeah i mean that's a bit of a bit of cultural context i'm definitely missing is the okay the horror comics craze mm-hmm. is that prompted by other media like are are I mean, horror movies becoming a bigger thing in the well, early Rose, 70s rosemary's baby was enormous the exorcist is coming out in 73 and that's how big like, was the baby like 13 pounds that's that's so so funny is that the kind of dad humor <laughs> We can come to expect. <laughs> oh, come on. That's That was a great joke. Nah. That's classic Rosemary's <laughs> Baby humor. God, All right, you... write to us at mymarvelousfear nah, at gmail.com. God, this com. is another one you love. Was <laughs> Dave's Rosemary's Baby joke good or bad? True or false? Yeah. Uh, yeah, I mean, that someone, someone wrote this up, too, that, like, that kind of satanic horror is becoming much bigger and we certainly see that in- the satanism thing and sort of the the mysticism and the spiritual stuff is clearly like yeah, yeah part yeah. of it but i'm wondering specifically like did dracula get re-released you know 
Like why? Uh, I mean, ha- I haven't looked the, into this at all. Obviously, the, the the Hammer movies were like big in this time period, but they were starting to die out. Those like big, uh, super corny Christopher Lee horror movies that were like pumped out real quick. Um, and those, you know, used a lot of the old characters. I mean, I'm thinking maybe it's just that they're public domain, right? And they have name recognition, and it's kind of an easy well to dip into. Yeah, there's clearly a drive to to tap into licensed or like um like free copyright characters. You know, I mean, we kind of get that with Shang-Chi and Fu Manchu. Mm-hmm. Um, obviously, Dracula and Frankenstein, like you said, it's like you don't have to do the legwork of promoting, uh, you know, Groot the tree monster from the Planet X. Right, There's yeah. Tales, you can just say, hey, it's Dracula. I already know what you're talking about. That certainly, I would imagine, has some appeal. I, I think, too, there's also, like, just licensed comics in general. I know, like, DC, a few years from now, is going to look at the success of Planet of the Apes and try to do a license there. Um, it won't actually come through, but it leads to a series like Jack Kirby's Commandy, Last Boy on Earth. So uh, it's it might be tied into that as well, I think. Yeah, it's an interesting question. Like, why not why not weave in some of these monsters a little more thoroughly? Um, I don't know. It's a good question. Yeah. Yeah, we, we're, we are going to see some more of that, like, I don't know, kind of spiritual wonkiness with Man-Thing. Uh, we're going to see definitely Satan come in with Ghost Rider. Like, <laughs> it's actually very strange, and it feels very out of left field. That Ghost Rider is, you know, like just turns to Satan so quickly. Um, oh, we. You know, I'm also that, not sure. I'm also not sure that other writers were as interested in like digging through the Marvel archives as Roy Thomas. Yeah, <laughs> like sure. Like Roy Thomas is big on you know Avengers: Kree Scroll War. It references Fantastic Four number two. Like it throws it all the way back to the first appearance of the Skrulls. I kind of get the feeling, and it's just a just like a thing I'm formulating on the fly now. That writers like a Steve Englehart or Steve Gerber were probably a little more interested in moving things forward, yeah, as opposed back. to reaching back and pulling that's, from stuff that was done. Especially that's really like interesting because I mean I feel like that's a that's a thing that will just come up in Marvel, you know, it, in different times where um, you know like continuity is cherished, right? Like I think we tend to think of it like this is one big continuous story and all that matters, but like that is not set in stone at this point in the seventies. Right, it's not necessarily just the idea of did it does it matter or even or like did it yeah like when when a writer sits down to write a Spider-Man story in 1973, like is it part of the like corporate culture so to speak to make sure that this story you know aligns with anything past the past six months right like that's an interesting line of thinking. I'm trying to think of the first point in time where a creative team would come on and just be like like basically like what's the first reboot you know essentially like what. What even is that? I would have to do some thinking. I mean, I, I mean, think we'll, the, we'll come across it at some point. Yeah, yeah. I'm just even then thinking of those terms. I mean, like 75, like all new, all different X Men. It's not really a reboot. It, no, that doesn't change like what happened before. Yeah, no, no. That that builds on top of what came before. I mean, I don't know if anyone like I don't know how often we're going to see someone just completely revamp it unless it's part of like a company wide rebooting or well, something. Well, a lot of times yeah. it happens somewhat subtly, where it's just you know, it's not like you know, we talked about House of X at the front of this. It's not like New issue, new starting place, like everything's changed. It's like, you know, a detail in the comic says something to the effect that you're like, wait a minute, that doesn't I mean, that doesn't Frank Miller's Daredevil, right? That might be the biggest adjustment in just like, this is a new character now. Like, well, it's this an adjustment is... in tone. It's still, I mean, the past is the past. The, yeah, yeah, I guess so. Yeah, I, I just wonder how much that is. Um, I think that's interesting to see like different writers, how much they value the past in integrating that into their current writing because I, th- yeah. I think you know that's something you still see now like there are writers who care about trying to like really honor that continuity and there are people who are just like no i'm going to tell a new story and like honor the character but i don't particularly care about 
you know, trying to weave it into past stories. You know, I've actually seen a lot of people complain about that with um, Donny Cates, the writer currently on Venom, that a lot of the work he sort of, the the argument is it betrays what had come before, sort of ignores the continuity that had come before. Um, I I personally don't have as much of an attachment to the character to have that sort of feeling. I'm also very pro- tell a unique interesting story and the continuity will follow yeah if the story a, a lot of story times, works the story works you know well i wouldn't even like i wouldn't say like well i don't care i do obviously continuity is something that i track and pay attention to um but i do think like here in the 70s i don't know that anyone's even questioning like, it just seems like well you just it's a serialized story and we just keep telling them and they're not like i don't know maybe the past isn't even that restricting at this point because there actually isn't that much of it yeah sure yeah, and there haven't been any, like, we haven't seen a sea change in any of these characters, really. You know, like, nothing nothing has dramatically shifted yet. Like, Thor, Iron Man, Cap, Fantastic Four, Spider-Man, they're all basically the same people they were at the beginning. I mean, maybe the writing is a little more subtle and they've become, I mean, after the first, like, five issues of Spider-Man, Peter Parker is not that far removed from what he is now. He's yeah, I was going to say, nuanced, like, things have but... happened in his life yeah, that yeah, have impacted he... him, but he has not substantially changed as a result yeah i, I don't think, think. Like, if you read a 2010 spider-man comic he would feel a lot different because like kind of his personality has shifted a little bit and they've honed in on different personality traits a bit more he will also but, have grown up as much as they are yeah. remiss to allow that to happen yeah, yeah. there's there are elements of that that do at least happen slightly over time yeah. you know like the difference between grown up adult working peter parker and still in college peter parker they are notable yeah. So, um, yep, that's why they don't have the old monsters. That's what we started on and we got question here. answered. Yeah. Um, Next. Let's, let's talk about let's talk about our my marvelous year, heroes and villains. Do you wanna you wanna start? You want me to go? Oh I'll I'll do I'll do one. Are you doing your two together? Yeah, mine'll go together. Okay. I'll do so one then you, you can wanna go first. Together. Yeah. Um, okay. So I forgot who I was doing. Oh yes, 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 yes. Okay. <laughs> Alright. So we're cutting to CJ, the backup generator. Wow, big episode for CJ. Yep. He, uh, so he has been dishonorably discharged, just like his static electricity. Oh, from, from the military. Thank you. I just, I just thought of that. Um, from the military because he was, uh, I mean, he just was zapping people way too much, zapping his, uh, superior officers just by, like, you know, clapping them on the shoulder or, uh, yeah, bumping it's into them. Yeah, wild it took this long, for being honest. Yeah. Um, and people were just fed up with it. You know, he kept like igniting piles of munitions with his, uh, built up static charge, which just, it's too dangerous. So he got, uh, he's discharged from the military. He's kind of feeling listless. He doesn't know, uh, you know, where to go. He, uh, on his way out of one of the military bases, he's working in science division, uh, like this R and D and he, uh, he starts grabbing some, uh, you know, you know, that way, like on your way out of the office, your last day at the office, you're like, well, I'm going to take a whole case of toilet paper with me you should um, see i've every time i leave a job i come home with my truck full of toilet paper uh all right so on his his last day at work at army he steals from the, <laughs> the science division a uh just just grabs a bottle of this uh powder and he's just like ah this this might be worth something and he gets home and it just is it's labeled life powder question mark you know like a scientist is just working on this that he doesn't know what it is hasn't figured so, it out yet sure. yeah, he sticks he sticks it up on his uh his shelf above the above the stove just with all the rest of his spices um he uh later hang that on, night hang on the rest of his spices yeah like a little spice rack up above the stove you keep your science experiment test tubes with your spices that's like the the 
the Scarlet Letter. No, not the Scarlet Letter. The uh, that book was very different when I read it. What's the one where you, he, he's hiding it in plain sight? You're, that guy, Dexter. Who, yes, yes, that's what I'm that, talking. Right? It's like Scarlet Letter. No, I meant Dexter. Scarlet. I do that all the time. Pimpernel? Is that a word? Do you know what I'm talking about, or am yeah, I stop being vulgar? Okay, let's continue. Oh God. Um, God, I'm, so, <laughs> I'm really <laughs> flustered right now. Okay. <laughs> He puts it above his stove with all the rest of his spices. He decides to, like, he's going to let loose, just relax a little bit tonight, and watch his two very favorite movies, Rocky and It's a Wonderful Life. Gosh, I love letting loose, just watching yeah. movies home alone. Yeah. He, he, <laughs> I he, get so loose just down on the couch. A, he's going to make up a batch of popcorn on the stove. Ooh, you know, boy. And uh, he, he's shaking the kernels. They all uh, they all start to pop. And, uh, and he's shaking them. Gosh, that's so cool. I didn't even Can thought of I, that. What are you do? Just let me finish this story. It's going way too long. <laughs> he reaches up above his stove for uh, some nutritional yeast. You know, that's like a really good popcorn addition. Just gives it that like kind of depth of flavor. But he's not looking. He's a little distracted because uh, his favorite scene and It's a Wonderful Life is on. And he grabs the life powder instead, sprinkles it all over his popcorn. He goes to sit down and all of a sudden these little uh, these little pieces of popcorn all start jumping up. And uh, and kind of crawling all over him. And at first he's horrified, but then he realizes that he he kind of has a power over these these popcorn pieces. Oh boy! Right? Because everybody knows that a general outranks a colonel. Huh? Huh? I I mean, listen, that was that was pretty good. Okay, so he realizes that he has an entire army of popcorn colonels. Yes. And, uh, and he he you know he kind of like you know like when you're unemployed and you just throw yourself into kind of an insane person's hobby. And he just like crafts little uniforms for every one of these little pieces of popcorn, and uh, <laughs> and they become like his his uh, his little minions. His so popcorn he, kernels. Yeah, his army has, of popcorn kernels. Yep, yep, yep. That's right. Uh, yeah. So that's okay. CJ, the backup. So discharged, but not down and out. He now has an army at his disposal of um, of little kernels. Of little kernels, and yeah. so far they're just letting loose in the basement. But who knows where that might go. All right, all right, all right. Good update so, uh, for the backup generator. That's going to take us into our updates for the reflector and overwhelm. These are patrons who we have previously created heroes and villains for. Zach, I believe you created these two as sort of an attached duo. Let's. I just want to say their names: Kurt Matzenbacher and Aaron Killingsworth. And they were both uh, experimented upon in getting mm-hmm. powers dealing with the emotional spectrum, essentially. Now, Kurt, the reflector, he is heroic following this experiment. His power is essentially he can um, amplify others' emotion, right? So if mm-hmm. they're feeling happy, yep. he's particularly happy. So he's an emotional manipulator. Uh, Aaron, overwhelmed. <laughs> well, that sounds bad when you say it that way. <laughs> is villainous. And he is basically just like his emotions are flying all over the, all the time, right? So at any given moment, it's kind of out of control. Um, but they're like the highest of highs and the lowest of lows. And I he imagine. just and he makes everyone else feel that. And he makes them feel how he's right. Yep. So he's if I feel this. So the reflector and overwhelm. They've been out in the world now as hero and villain for a bit. The reflector stopping some petty crimes, overwhelmed committing some petty crimes. Occasionally, the two will bump into each other. And of course, as heroes and arch nemeses will do, they duke it out, often resulting in overwhelm being punched in the jaw. And uh, he hasn't actually been to prison yet. He typically escapes by uh, laughing very loudly. And laughter, as we know, 
the reflector, he can't quite do it because his emotions himself are dampened. So he can only kind of smirk and acknowledge like like I just did. Like he can say like, I recognize that Zach, you made a good pun, but he oh, won't actually laugh you. very loud. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, so he doesn't really give you that. So anyway, this is the story of Overwhelmed First Love and The Reflector. That's right. <laughs> they fell in love with the same <gasps> romantic partner. Love triangle. We got ourselves a classic love triangle. Here's what happened, right? Aaron, overwhelmed, was robbing a bank. Uh, Kurt shows up to stop him. And the reflector, in doing so, one of the bank tellers there, very pretty young lass, um, she says, hey, he's he's under the counter. They find overwhelmed, right? They do get out. Overwhelmed escapes. Reflector says, all right, hope everyone's okay. How are you, ma'am? And in the process of doing this, both men decide for themselves that they're in love with this bank teller. And the whole saga plays out such that the bank teller has a choice. Who does she want to date? Want to date Overwhelm or mm-hmm. the Reflector, hero or villain? And she quite aggressively, not aggressive, she quite uh, eagerly chooses Aaron, Overwhelm, over the Reflector. From this point forward, the Reflector takes a vow of celibacy. This also coincides with his dampened emotions because, as we know, he really can't, you know, enjoy things the way of others. So he takes a loud vow of celibacy. He oh, shouts boy. it out loud. <laughs> and every time he stops a crime now, he says, that's it, evildoer. Also, I'm celibate. And he leaves, right? It's marketing, everyone. Um, Overwhelm, on the other hand, he's never been happier. Now, he's also never been sadder or angry or guiltier because that's his whole gimmick. But this relationship is great, happier. Over uh, The Reflector, he can't quite stand to see Overwhelm so happy. He sees him out like Overwhelm's not even upset when he gets prevented from robbing a bank or whatever. So what The Reflector does is he uses his power set secretly, discreetly over time to fume the flames of jealousy in the bank teller girlfriend. I haven't even given her a name. That seems kind of offensive. Um, <laughs> let's call her yeah. Christy McMoney. Okay. Nicholson. Christy Mickelson. That's better. McMoney. Her middle name's McMoney. Christy McMoney. McNicholson. Right. Christy McMoney McMickelson. She is the bank teller and this few, this jealousy that overwhelmed, like every time he sees her, thinks of her, that he starts instigating, it it leads her, drives her to take out some anger on overwhelm, even though things are going otherwise. And essentially the reflector ruined a relationship. Now, overwhelm doesn't know this yet, but it was all the reflectors doing. Turned his power. And and this basically sets overwhelm on a course of villainy that right now he was committing petty crimes. Yeah. From here on out. He's going top level. He's looking Legion of Doom style, and we haven't talked about our version of Doom yet. But Overwhelm is going to become a huge, huge cosmic, not cosmic, but, you know, global level villain. I mean, he gets and- home that night, and he immediately places the order for the supervillain costume. You know, before he was just in street clothes. But I now was he's just like, going to say, he gets yeah. in touch with the tailor yeah, right yeah, after yeah. this. And that's going to lead us into our next update gets here. Gets the headgear, gets the, the whole plating, all the complicated Kirby stuff. Everything, everything. This is how he gets his costume. This is why he gets his costume. And boy, oh boy, what's going to happen when he finds out his arch nemesis, the reflector, is even more at the root of his problems. How could he do this? How could the reflector do this? Exactly. Okay, so we cut from your scene with Overwhelm to a a dark room lit by shadowy, there's shadowy figures all against one wall. Uh And the the light comes up and we see mannequins standing there, full-size mannequins, fully proportioned, and one's wearing a chicken costume, and then the next one is wearing what looks like a riding crops and kind of uh, like a, a, a small half cape. We see somebody wearing what looks like a kind of stealth gear, all, all in black, um, with a powdered wig on top. 
And then the exact costume that we were just talking about for Overwhelm is just on one of these mannequins. And Lalo Lacrozzi, the tailor, walks by sketching something on a pad of paper. And you can see all these different costumes she's designing for heroes and villains all around the world. And she goes and sits down at her desk and... For a second, she, uh, she, you know, she's busy at work. She's sketching out these these plans, and uh, if you looked over her shoulder, you'd see a cape made of flamingo feathers. But uh, she stops for just a second and opens a drawer, and she pulls out a framed photograph, and it's of her, Lola, and another young woman, and it looks like it's a few years old. She's a little bit younger, and she, Lolo is, Lalo is wearing her uh, her normal business gear. It's a uh, you know, it's very professional looking, but also stylish at the same time. Um, there's a lot of little accessories on it, but it also isn't overdone. It's very tasteful, but forward thinking. Um, but she uh, it, she's dressed a little simpler in this photo, and she's attaching what looks like a cape, kind of a traditional superhero's cape, like a bright red cape, to the back of another woman who's who's looking kind of goofy, smiling at the camera, and looking like uh, like they're going off to their first she's like sending her to her first day of school even though they're the same age and the picture is signed to my love lalo signed yuvia and uh and she looks at this and her face kind of softens and she looks sad for a second and then she slams the photo back in her drawer and shuts it and starts scribbling furiously and uh and then you just see her, her creating more costumes for heroes and villains all around the world love it Mm-hmm. Love this tease. Yeah. Nice. I got got big plans. Also, uh, Christina's drawings, which is this Christina Cantabell, her drawings for Lalo this last month were really cool. So she's actually done a drawing of the mannequins themselves also that she calls, uh, oh, she calls them something really cool. I can't remember, but she's got a nickname for her, her little army of mannequins. Awesome. Awesome. All right. There you have it. Those are our updates for the My Marvelous Year Shared Universe. Thanks to all our patrons who are supporting us at the tier that, that gets you a new hero and villain name. And, of course, we will have more of those to come in our next variant cover episode. All right. Yeah, so that's uh, that's our heroes and villains. Hope that uh, hope that's fun. I just want to do a quick call out of the rest of our $10 and up patrons. Um, ben Grieving, Christopher Enger, Dan Heath, Johans Kuter, Justin Robinson, Jorg Etner, or is that Eitner? Uh, Keith Bartley, Kent Barry Guarana, Stephen, he changed his name on Patreon to the naysayer. So I, I know it's Stephen. I think Steve Taylor, Stephen Taylor, <laughs> Stephen, the naysayer, maybe it's Stephen Tyler. Steve Tyler from Aerosmith and, yeah. uh, Peter Parsons. So thank you all very much. Uh, we really appreciate all of your backing. It's, you know, it's so critical to like what we're doing and it's so, I don't know, it, it really is like kind of amazing that we're almost at 500 bucks. Like I'm so blown away by that and um yeah i really appreciate it thank you thanks everybody this has been a my marvelous year variant cover tune in next week for 1973 part one you can find the reading comics or the comics to read in the show notes as always i'm dave you can find me at comic book herald everywhere uh you can find zach wandering the streets of philadelphia this week is my guess where oh, okay. you'll be. Yeah, sure. <laughs> yep. Just uh, yeah, why not? Just feel like that's where you're going to be. <laughs> just pluck pluck a city out of the, of the yeah. U.S. Yeah, sure. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Um, and music for the show is by Disasterpiece. Thank you, Disasterpiece, for the tunes. And what else do we want to plug? Anything else? Nope. That's pretty good. That's Please rate and review if you like the show. If you made it this far, you're awesome. Write us your questions. My marvelous year at gmail.com. We'll be back next week. Thanks for listening, and we will see you next year. See you next year. <laughs>